What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Snaggle Show. I am your host, Chris Jardine, a.k.a. Snaggle J, here on a special Sunday edition. It is Sunday morning. I am down here in the office, just polished off a nice little breakfast wrap with some cheese and lettuce, egg. I've got my nice full coffee here in my uh, wonderful uh, Mickey Disney mug. And I'm excited to talk about uh, last night. AEW's All Out emanated from the Sears Center in Chicago, Illinois. Very highly anticipated pay-per-view as this will be the last large-scale event before AEW starts weekly TV on October 2nd, which is a Wednesday. Uh, I believe it's from 8 to 10 Eastern. will air on TNT Drama in the United States. They have said that there will be some sort of Canadian uh, airing. They have not said where or if it will be in that live time slot. I have to assume for the Canadian listeners out there that it will be on some modicum of a TSN property. Um, simply because Rogers, who owns Sportsnet, uh, Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet 360, are very much entrenched with the WWE and have been now for many years. So I cannot see Rogers ponying up and showing a competitive product considering the very long uh, running and mostly positive relationship that Rogers has with WWE. So I have to assume it's going to be on a TSN property of some sort. But all out last night, listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to remember as we go through this episode and we, and we talk about what happened and I give you my thoughts on uh, the various matches and the various happenings at All Out. The goal of this pay-per-view was to set them up for TV. It was to leave them with some intrigue, some storylines, um, some feuds, some questions about feuds. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job of setting up towards the first TV. I think that some really good decisions were made last night in terms of who went over who or who feuded with who or when a certain debut occurred. Um, I do feel like they made some good decisions in that part. I do feel like they've set up, um, you know, October 2nd's first live TV show and all the subsequent shows with a little bit of intrigue and, um, you know, something to look forward to. Now... It was announced during the show that their first pay-per-view after the start of TV, uh, Full Gear, will be November 9th in Baltimore. So I am a little concerned that we're only going to get five weeks of TV and then a pay-per-view. you got to think they're only going to be once a week. It's only two hours. So you're going to have to get ten hours of TV in and then you're going to have a pay-per-view. I'm a little concerned. Um... To me, that seems like it's a bit rushed. I get it. You don't want to leave it too far into December. Um, Christmas time pay-per-views traditionally don't do well. They're usually quite gimmicky. But I really feel like you could have done a late November, maybe like the first weekend in December after Thanksgiving, uh, American Thanksgiving, of course, um, and, and tried something like that. I really think it's going to be tough to flesh out a full pay-per-view in 
10 hours of TV. But that's just me. I'm willing to, you know, allow the benefit of the doubt at this moment in time. I guess we'll be able to look at that in a couple months and be like, okay, yeah, that was really a horrible decision, or hey, they really pulled it off. Uh, but all in all, I think All Out was a good show. I think there was there are definitely some areas where um, AEW need to improve their um, pay-per-view production. Again, paying $50 Canadian for this, uh, if I'm going to have to do it four to five times a year, it's going to have to get, the production value is going to have to get better. Uh, I was a little concerned. So let's talk about the general show. Um, the stage seems to be very similar to what they're using. No real differences in terms of the stage. I guess early on, um, no real reason for AEW to go way out and build a new stage every time. Um, the production-wise, two big things that really, really are sore spots right now. Number one, the timings of their production are just not good right now. A lot of times they would flash that little intro video, you know, that takes up the full screen and then they would zoom to the entrance and the wrestler or wrestlers were, would either already be at the top of the entrance ramp and halfway into their entrance or they were late coming out as was the case with Pac. And I, I like... I don't feel like this is that hard of a thing. You know how long those little clips are going to air for. You line the timings up. You send the guys out at the right time. Too often there were awkward periods of, you know, either nobody on the screen or somebody already half into their intro. And then you're getting the pop of the crowd when the entrance video is still up on the screen. It was really awkward and really poorly done. Um... The Battle Royal was just atrocious in terms of timings. Um, you literally had your Joker, the last person to come out, Mercedes Martinez. She, she literally had the countdown go off. And then Awesome Kong gets eliminated, which is a big part of the match. Because Awesome Kong, being who she is and the size that she is, and, and that, that presence that she has, was probably a favorite to win. But it's happening in the like the middle of your big debut entrance with Mercedes Martinez. It was really poorly done. I really think... Well, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Um, the second thing is... And I hate to say this out loud. They have to get rid of Jim Ross. Jim Ross has displayed again, as he did at Double or Nothing, that the pace of today's wrestling is beyond him as a commentator. Um, the first half of the show, he seemed angry and irritated at literally everything that was happening. Um, there were... The chemistry between him and Excalibur and Golden Boy is just not good. I know JR often says on his podcast that you know Excalibur has a bright future in... Uh, commentating in pro wrestling, I agree 100%, but when you have a three-man booth, the lowest common denominator is often what people play towards, and it is very, very difficult for Excalibur to be good when Golden Boy, to me, seems out of place. Uh, sometimes when, when he's, you know, calling the match, he seems like he could be 
a, a world-class commentator, and there's other times where he says something, and I'm just like, what the fuck did he just say? Um, the commentary team is not working. It's not working. It's awkward. Um, there's too many mistakes. There's too many missed spots. Um, and, I mean, these guys have been working together for months now. Like, this is not, like, double or nothing where this was, you know, kind of the first foray into this. I mean, they did double or nothing. They did Fighter Fest. Um, they did that other thing, the uh, Tribute to the Troops. Um, and now and now we have All Out. I mean, these guys have been working together for months now. And, honestly, it's not even that we haven't seen improvement. I think the commentary at All Out was worse than double or nothing. Because at least at double or nothing... JR kicked it into another gear for the triple main event uh, and really, really showed flashes of the old JR. We didn't get that last night at All Out. The commentary was just... It was not It was not good. And, and, and honestly, I think, like I said, I, I'm pretty confident in saying at this point that Play-by-play -play commentary in a professional wrestling scene may be beyond Jim Ross. Um, and I hate to say that because, you know what, he is the voice of my generation in terms of wrestling and the Attitude Era. But the thing is, is that it, it's he's not doing a good job of putting the talent over, which as a commentator to the live viewing TV or pay-per-view people, that's your job. Your job is to put the talent over, and he's not doing that. He's not doing it very well, and it is just, it, it's just—it's—it's hard to listen to. It really is. So production-wise, AEW still has a long way to go, in my opinion. Um, so let's get into the individual matches. Let's talk about the pre-show. First up, the Women's Casino Battle Royale, where the winner would earn a number one contendership for the Women's World Title which uh, that match will take place October 2nd, Washington, D.C., uh, at the first um, Wednesday night uh, live show, which I don't think they've announced a name yet, but anyway. Uh, so Nyla Rose picks up the win, which kind of is a bit of a surprise. Um, I think a lot of people were pretty sure that Britt Baker was going to go over in this, um, me being one of them. Um, the Battle Royale itself was just was bad. It was bad. Uh, again, the timings were way off. AEW needs to scrap this Casino Battle Royale uh, idea. It needs to go away. Uh, it's not working. It's not intriguing. Um, it is just—it's a jumbled mess. Much like the Battle Royale at Double or Nothing was a jumbled mess. Uh, and again, once Hangman came out as the Joker, um, people kind of had forgotten the whole—you know—concept of it anyway. The the Casino Battle Royale concept is not working for AEW. Uh, they need to definitely look uh, in a different direction. Um, the match, the first 90% of the match was was unwatchable spots. Um, again, the timings were off. Uh, there were a few botches. Um, once we got down to like the final four, which uh, if I remember correctly were Britt Baker, uh, Nyla Rose, B Priestley, and Mercedes Martinez, uh, it got really, got really good. Britt Baker showed off some uh, a few spots there towards the end um, that really, really got the crowd into it, that really got me into it. I think you would have been better off um, just having a fatal four-way with those four. 
I could have watched a fatal four-way with Britt Baker, Mercedes Martinez, uh, Nyla Rose, and B. Priestley. I could have watched that for 25 minutes instead of this battle royal, and it would have been a lot better on the pre-show. It would have converted a lot more people to buy the pay-per-view. Um, again, I think putting Nyla Rose over is a mistake. Um, which we're going to talk about more when we get to the women's match from the main card. I still think that Britt Baker would have been and should be your most viable first women's champion. I think that now that um, she is looking towards a feud with B. Priestley, as you know, uh, Priestley kind of pulled Baker out of the ring and helped Nyla Rose win, I think a Priestley-Britt Baker feud is going to trump any sort of action you have on the women's world title. Um so, again, it'd be interesting to see where they go with the booking. I feel like Britt Baker would have been the better play. I know sometimes people hate the obvious choice, but in this case, I think the obvious choice would have been the best choice. Uh, but, yeah, overall, the Women's Casino Battle Royale. Uh, watch the last five minutes of it, and you'll probably uh, see everything that you need to see. Also on the pre-show, Private Party uh, defeats the Highlighter Squad, Jack Evans and Angelico. Um not a bad, uh, not a bad pay-per-view. Some really good spots. Um, I, I really like Private Party. I really do. Um, I think they have uh, excellent tag team wrestling. I think their aerial skills are fantastic. I think they have some big moves. Eventually, Private Party picks up the win, uh, getting some momentum as they move towards the uh, tag team tournament that we literally know nothing about other than uh, one team's going to get a first round buy, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Uh, but it was a good, it was a good, uh, a good pre-show match. It would have been a good main card match as well. Um, after the match, they shook hands, but, uh, Evans and Angelico attacked private party. Uh, they really went towards Quinn's knee. Um, so I think this feud is probably far from over. Uh, but all in all, it was a really, really good match. Definitely the better of the two matches on the pre-show. Definitely doing exactly what a pre-show match needs to do, which is build excitement and convince those people who are watching the pre-show for free um, to pick up um, to pick up the main pay-per-view. This was the match. This was the match to watch on the pre-show. It was exciting. It was fun. Uh, it was high-end. Um, yeah, it was a good match. Good match. Nice to see Private Party go over. I, I expect big things for Private Party and AEW as well once they go to live TV. Um, on every week. So we go to the main show, and I have to groan at this one. Again, another pay-per-view, and another SCU coming out first. Uh, I'm over this shit. Uh, I'm over SCU in general. Um, I am not a fan. Uh, I am a fan of Scorpio Sky. Uh, I think Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian hold him down. I think Scorpio Sky has all the potential in the world. He has the charisma. I think Scorpio Sky could be um, a very top-end singles wrestler in AEW. I am over the SCU gimmick. Uh, I am over them kicking off every um, AEW pay-per-view. Um, it's just, I, I just, uh, when they hit, when that music hit, and I'm just like, oh, here we go. Um, and the reaction on Twitter was the same. Hey, here's another AEW pay-per-view, and guess what? SCU's up first. Uh, I'm kind of over their shtick at this point. Uh, the match itself was was not too bad. Um, they were facing Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, and Luchasaurus, who were called the Jurassic Express. Um, Jungle Boy was being called Jungle Boy by uh, Golden Boy and Excalibur, um, but 
Jim Ross was calling him Jungle Jack Perry. So, not sure what's going on there. Um, Luchasaurus was by far head and shoulders, uh, not only taller than everyone in this match, but was head and shoulders uh, by far the best um, wrestler in this match, the best received wrestler in this match. The crowd loves Luchasaurus. They love what he's doing. He's got a unique combination of size and athleticism, and it's not hard to make him look big when he's wrestling with Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. Um, it was, again, the match itself was relatively forgettable. Um, again, there were some, you know, the Luchasaurus stuff, uh, when he was in there doing his thing, uh, it was pretty good. I think the Daniels hitting the best melter ever on Stunt and Jungle Boy at the same time, and then Stunt eating the pin, uh, I think that was kind of cool. Uh, but again, it, you know, this match, uh, First match on the main card, you got to get people excited. And while the Luchasaurus did do some things to get some people excited, again, I think the crowd there was not really digging SCU in this spot. Um, so it was one of those things. Again, it was a good match, not a great match, pretty forgettable match. I am excited to see what they do with Luchasaurus going forward because it is obvious that he does have some heat uh, right now. So it'll be interesting to see how long he stays with Jungle Boy. Uh, or how long it is before he turns on him. Uh, I think Luchasaurus as a big heel could be very, very interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next up, we have Pac versus Kenny Omega. Pac filling in for John Moxley, uh, who is out with an elbow infection. I really felt like Moxley and Omega had match of the year potential. Um going into this and it was really really upsetting to see that Moxley couldn't perform uh, and I, th I don't think Moxley and Omega would have been second on the card as well I think the position on the card has to do with the fact that th there's really no story going into this um, you know it's just Pac filling in I think it was pretty safe to say going into it that Omega was going to have to eat the, the loss here um, and I like the way they did it uh, and that's exactly what happened. So Pac picks up a submission victory over Omega. Omega never taps. Uh, he didn't tap. He didn't give up. The referee called for the bell um, after um, Pac uh, locked in the brutalizer when Kenny Omega was going for the one-winged angel. Um, and then eventually Omega falls to the mat. The referee calls for the the uh, the, the bell. Um not going to lie, for this match having absolutely no heat going into it and no story, the crowd was into it, and it was a really, really good match. This was probably um, probably the best singles match on the card. Um, in, terms of, in terms of action and, and, and everything, I think this was probably the best singles match on the card. Um, it, it was really good. It was slow and methodical. Um, you had Pac, you know, on top for the majority of the match, and then Omega coming back, and then Omega, you know, tr he would come back for a bit, then he'd get knocked down, he'd come back for a bit longer, he'd get knocked down, um, and I think, in the in the end, I think Pac winning was the right decision, I think him doing it in a way that leaves Omega looking somewhat strong, um, is, is a good decision, you know, not making him tap, or not making him eat the one, two, three, uh, I think it leaves something there. The real questions that remain for me are twofold. You know, 
Is Pac going to be a, an active AEW participant moving forward? Um, if this is just a one-off and, and, and Pac's going away, I think it, it did what it needed to do. I think if Pac was going to be here and stay, I think I would have liked to see a run-in or uh, um, some sort of shenanigans in this match that set up something going forward. I think if you're still looking forward to having... Um, Omega and and Moxley, um, you know maybe Moxley wasn't well enough to do a run in here. It's completely possible. I know he was supposed to have surgery, so that's probably not an option. But I feel like if Pac's going to be there long term, I feel like you didn't do a good job of leaving him with something to do after this. Um, if it was just a one off, then that's fine. It did the job. But if, if Pac's going to be a regular. And I think we'll see that in, in the days and weeks ahead, you know, if he does, uh, you know, sign an official contract. Um, I feel like you didn't leave him with much. And the other side of the coin is, what do you do with Omega now? He's eaten two big losses on pay-per-view. Um, you know, one to Jericho, and now one to Pac. What do you do with him here? He, he He's as weak as Kenny Omega has ever looked. And again... He didn't tap out, or he didn't uh, take the one, two, three, but he lost. We have not seen the world beater Kenny Omega that people know from New Japan. And Omega's not getting any younger. So the window to have him be one of your top guys is not the biggest window in the history of the world. So I, I, I'm not sure on either side what the creative is moving forward. Again, it's a tough spot to be in. Moxley pulled out eight days ago. Pac comes in and, you know, I'm sure he didn't come in on the pretense, well, listen, you're going to eat a one-wing angel in the one, two, three. No, that's not going to happen. But you didn't really leave. Like, what's the point of Moxley coming back? Moxley, with all the fire that he created by debuting at Double or Nothing, what point does he have to face Kenny Omega now? Kenny Omega's 0-2. He's lost two big matches on pay-per-view. It's going to be very interesting to see how they pick up the pieces of this uh, and move forward. Next up, we have the hardcore match. Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela, Darby Allin. Um, I'm not into the whole hardcore scene. Um, the crackle, Cracker Barrel Clash, as they called it. Uh, the hardcore gimmick, to me... Uh, it's done with. It's over. It's 90s. It's early 2000s. Um, I, I, I hate it. This to me, and, and I know I'm going to catch heat for this, this to me was I went and grabbed a snack and went to the bathroom. Um, you know, the the staple gun, the, the barrels, the tables, um, the fact that it was literally just three guys in a hardcore match, that doesn't interest me at all in 2019. Um, the, from what, like, honestly, the match itself, had some intrigue. I'm a big Jimmy Havoc fan. I think Jimmy Havoc is a better wrestler than people give him credit for. Um, I think Joey Janela is a better wrestler than we give him credit for. And I think Darby Allen showed at, uh, was it Fighter Fest when he faced Cody Rhodes? Or um, Fight for the Fallen. Really showed that he can wrestle. And I think this was just a, just not a match that anybody wanted to see these three in. I know Jimmy Havoc's whole shtick is 
death matches and you know doing this this kind of stuff. But I feel like, and again, it's a change of pace. I get that too. But it's not my cup of tea. Um, it was good for what it needed to be. I think the ending. There were some big spots. Um, eventually, Jimmy Havoc pins Joey Janela one two three. Um, after he hit him with a superplex onto a barrel, which his feet caught the barrel, and then hit him with an acid rainmaker uh, through the barrel for the win. Again, not my cup of tea. Pretty good match. Nice change of pace, especially after uh, Pac and Kenny Omega. And that gets us to our next match, which is one that I wish I didn't watch at all. Uh, the Dark Order versus the Best Friends. Um, now, the tip for this match was the winning team gets a bye through... Um, the first round of the AEW Tag Team Championship Tournament. If you've ever in your life seen a championship tournament in wrestling where there is a bye involved, the heels are always the one that gets the bye. Always, always the heels. It's a heel stipulation. You knew the Dark Order was going to win before the match even started, and that's exactly what happened. And honest to God, if I, I said this on Twitter, and I stick by it this morning... If I never, ever see the Dark Order again, if I ever, like, ever, ever see them again, it'll be too soon. Um, it, um, the Dark Order's not working. Their shtick is, is stupid. The crowd's not buying it. Um, uh, I think their debut was interesting and, and, and mysterious at Double or Nothing. Um, but this was flat. The crowd wasn't into it at all. Um, the crowd really enjoys, uh... Uh, Chucky and, and uh, Trent, the best friends. Um, I think that, yeah, the Dark Order just doesn't have it. They're they're not going to be a mega heel tag team. Um, they're that kind of tag team that they'll be in this tournament. And you may never see them again. And I think uh, AEW will be better off. I just don't get it. I don't. Um, I don't understand. I mean, I get it. They're this dark, mysterious tag team that has these druids following. Um, the match was not good. Um, the Dark Order's heel shtick is not good. But it was saved. The only thing that would stop me from giving this match an F was the Orange Cassidy debut. <laughs> now listen, Orange Cassidy is an extremely polarizing figure in wrestling. But I, I love it. I love, I love the originality of his shtick. To, you know, the lights go out and the lights come on and Orange Cassidy's standing in the middle of the ring with his hands in his pocket and then he does a suicide dive without taking his hands out of his pocket. He comes back in the ring. He gets a hug. Uh, the crowd popped ridiculously huge for Orange Cassidy. Uh, he definitely has has an interesting following. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with his character. Um, but that's another discussion for another day. Um, but to me, that was the only real highlight in what was otherwise an extremely forgettable match where the Dark Order pick up the win. They pick up that first round bye. Um, the best friends eat the loss. Um, but they come out on top with the Orange Cassidy debut at the end. He did the suicide dive into the Druids um, or the Creepers or whatever they're called. Um, but yeah, this this was a, a otherwise forgettable match. Speaking of forgettable matches... Um, and that's not a knock on Riho and Hikaru Shida uh, in the women's match. Now, again, I had no idea going into All Out, and I feel like we talked about this on Twitter. I feel like this is one of those things that just came up. All of a sudden, the winner of this Riho-Hikaru Shida match 
is going to get the other spot in the AEW Women's Championship match on the first live um, show. And that just came from out of nowhere. Um, on the pre-show, they announced that. Um, so I feel like that really took any caring I had out of this match because neither of these women are going to beat Nyla Rose on pay-per-view or in um, for the belt. This is not going to happen. Um, now I know uh, Riho picks up the win over Sheeta here in in what was um, a, a good match, an average match. Um, again, I, I really like how AEW is is branching out and bringing in a lot of these overseas wrestlers. But in this big of a spot, with what you knew you had coming after, you still had that triple main event feel with Cody Spears, um, the AAA ladder match, and um, Jericho and Hangman. I feel like they... While I enjoy that they do bring in the, the, the overseas, the Japanese, the Chinese wrestlers, they don't do a very good job of explaining who they are and giving you that connection to them. And so to me, this match was, was one that I, I glanced at my phone a lot during. Um, Riho did some interesting stuff. I mean, she's all of 90 pounds. Um, she did do you know some, some interesting bridges out of pinning combinations and such. Um, you know, there is a bit of story again between Riho and Nyla Rose where Riho pinned Nyla in a three-way match at Fighter Fest, but in a one-on-one -on -one situation, there's no way you have to think that Nyla Rose is not going to be the first AEW Women's Champion. Um, again, I am, I am concerned about the direction of the women's division already because you're going to have Nyla Rose and Riho go for your first championship match. Meanwhile, what should be your first championship match is going to be your hottest feud in the women's division, which is Britt Baker and B. Priestley. Um, so again, I, I like the women's division. I like the roster that they have, but I feel like they've already devalued the title because you're more interesting, you're more talented feud is now your B feud as opposed to Nyla Rose and Riho which is that David and Goliath story where in a one-on-one -on -one match I can't see any conceivable reason how Nyla Rose doesn't squash Riho in Washington DC in her hometown and pick up an easy one two three um, again I'm willing to let the creative work itself out um, and we can look at it in hindsight in in a month's time or so and See, okay, well, that really didn't work, which I think is how it's going to go, but here we are. So we have the AEW Women's Championship match set up. It's going to be Riho. It's going to be Nyla Rose on the first episode of, I'm assuming at this point, they're going to call it Wednesday Night Dynamite, um, but, so let's just go with that. Um, so it should be interesting to see what they do. But the match itself with Riho and Sheeta was, was a largely forgettable match. Um, again, they had kind of three matches in a row here. Uh, or not three matches in a row. Well, two matches in a row. You have the back-to-back -back matches where the crowd just got sucked out of the building completely. Um, next up, Cody versus Sean Spears. Probably the biggest storyline-based match going into it. Um, 
the chair shot at Fighter Fest, Tully Blanchard in Spears' corner, who's going to be in Cody's corner, he's only allowed to have one, um, so Spears comes out with a very, very deep heelish intro, uh, his entrance was great, um, then Cody comes out with uh, the Star Trek theme, which, I mean, he, he, here's the thing. This is a, a a blood feud at this point between Cody and Sean Spears. And yet, here you have MJF, DDP, um, and Brandy in Star Trek getup coming out to the ring. Like, don't get me wrong, not in any way dissing Star Trek fans. I'm a huge Next Generation Star Trek fan. Just doesn't seem like the right place. You literally have this guy who busted your head open with one of the most vicious chair shots of the last 10 years. On pay-per-view, live. And you're coming out with Star Trek getup? Like, it just, place and time, place and time, place and time. So, Cody picks MJF to be in his corner, which I thought was interesting. Um, I said all day going into it, I thought for sure it was going to be Arn Anderson. Uh, and then have that weird four horsemen dynamic with Anderson and Blanchard. You know, obviously, um, they were strike force. They were WWF Tag Team Champions. They were probably NWA Tag Team Champions at some point. Um, so... But MJF, an interesting dynamic as well. Uh, and the, the this is one of the moments in the, in the evening where the commentators did a really good job. Maybe a bit of overkill with playing up how MJF was hurting Cody throughout the match. And how MJF was definitely not equal to Tully Blanchard in, in the corner. I think that was one of the really good things that the commentary really emphasized. Again, I think they maybe went a little too far. I think too many times they, they harped on MJF not being as talented corner man as Tully Blanchard, but they really did drive that point home and really made it seem like Cody had made a tough or a, a wrong decision. Tully Blanchard made his um, presence felt many times. Some of them awkward. The standing on the ring steps waiting to give him the belt um, looked weird. I mean, if, if, if I'm Earl Hebner and I see Tully Blanchard on the top step, I just assume something shady is up. And he was stood there for a good 10, 15 seconds before they did anything. Uh, it, it was strange. Um, some of his stuff was mistimed, but it was very, very heelish. Again, almost to the point where it was over the top. Um, so Cody g gets hit with the with Tully's belt. He no-sells the second one. Um, he hits the crossroads. Blanchard uh, distracts the ref. And then MJF gets involved. MJF and Tully start, start going at each other. Tully's um, dealing with MJF on the side, and then all of a sudden, here comes Double A, Arn Anderson, and I'll tell you what, I Arn Anderson. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up right now, just so I can. I'm gonna do some on-the-fly research here, kids. Arn Anderson at this exact moment in time is 60 years old. He will turn 61 uh, later this month as we enter September, but. That spine buster was was beautiful. That was one, that was honestly 
That Arn Anderson Spinebuster was better than any Spinebuster I've seen Triple H deliver in the last 15 years. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Cody comes back in. Uh, he hits uh, hits another crossroads. Hits the flip-flop and fly. Then the steel chair plays into it. He hits a disaster kick. Um, while Spears is holding the chair, picks up the one, two, three. Great match. Great story. Um, MJF gets in at the end of it, and you're thinking, hey, MJF's holding the chair. He's going to turn on him. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. He's going to turn on him. Doesn't happen, which I love. I, again, I love it not happening. Because everybody thought, as soon as the match was over, MJF jumps in the ring. Here it is. MJF's turning on Cody. No. Let it build. Let, let's have more of this. Put them in a tag match or something. Uh, 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 let it simmer. I, I love it. I get, I get the fans always wanting that instant gratification and wanting to be right in their prognostications that, oh yeah, he's turning on, he's turning on. It's one night. It's This is literally 20 minutes in to the Cody MJF thing. We know he's going to turn on him eventually. It's fucking wrestling. But let's let it simmer. You know, maybe at the first um, live show, they do Cody and MJF against, uh, you know, Spears and somebody. And then Blanchard in one corner and Anderson in the other. Maybe they do like a four horsemen-y type of gimmick with Cody and MJF and a couple other people. And, then, you know, maybe this doesn't happen till 2020. And then eventually it happens. But it, it, I'm so happy that it didn't happen here. This was a great match, a great story. Yes, there was a few weird moments with some Tully stuff. But you know what? Tully hasn't been in or around the ring in years. Um, overall, it was a great match. It was a great story. Um, I'm a big fan of how it turned out. And I'm very, very interested to see where it goes forward. And again, at least Spears strong as well. I mean, he had to eat a, a spine buster from Aaron Anderson to get beat. And then, like, basically the, the equivalent of three finishers. Um, so, you know, it, it leaves Spears looking very, very strong as well. Next up, we have the AAA Tag Team Championship ladder match. The Lucha Bros against the Young Bucks. Um, this is a great match. Um, I, I have to admit, the 37-year-old in me... Um, I cringed at some of the spots in this match. Um, I, I feel bad because Mrs. J was having to sleep on the couch. Um, you know, she's a wrestling fan, but but it was getting late. Um, this match was on almost at midnight, my time. Um, and when Nick Jackson took that ladder bump and caught his foot on the top rope, and went through the first table instead of both tables. I I I screamed out, "Oh my god, he's dead!" Because I really did like I real that that to me was too much. It was a hor that was a horrible spot, a terrible botch, um, and really really could have paralyzed or worse. Nick Jackson and I seen my close personal friend Red Sox Forever on the Twitter um, said exactly what I was thinking. This reminded me of the Dudleys, um, Edge and Christian, Hardy Boys matches where every time they did TLC, it got more and more and more and more and more intense to the point where it, it was almost like they were going to have to kill someone to top what they did the previous time. 
This We've seen the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks. This makes six or seven times this year already. And you just knew going into it they were going to have to do something um, it, it, to, to top those other ones. That's the thing. When you have a long-running feud, it's, well, okay, we got to be better than the last time. And their match at All Out, and I know they've wrestled since then, or not All Out, sorry, their match at Double or Nothing was great. It was an amazing match. It was fantastic. This match, if you look at the sum of everything, was an amazing match. But I, I feel like at this point I want this feud to be over because I'm scared of where they're going to go next. There were some really big spots in this match that could have gone really, really sideways. That Nick Jackson one to the outside. Um, there were lots of table and ladder spots. Um, uh, the the sharpshooter crossface through the ladder was awesome. Extremely innovative. It was really cool. Um, the I, I like the unmasking element with Pentagon as well. Um, we you know just the really quick goes for the mask. Um, you know, but the one thing I will say was a downside was that the ending was a little flat. And it was probably because I I feel like this match was probably set to go another 10 minutes. But I feel like the Young Bucks took so much punishment they just had to go home. Um, so the ending to me was, was a little anticlimactic because there was, you know, uh, Pentagon and Phoenix literally just climbed the ladders, took the belts down. There was no real... Um, you know, how you get in those ladder matches, the real intriguing last minute, you know, fighting over the belts, and then somebody takes a really big spot, and then the, the guy who's still up there unhooks the belt, and then it's over. We didn't have that here, um, but again, after you know, don't let that sully your impression of this match as a whole. Um, it was an amazing match. And then, at the end, a couple of masked men come out. Boom, it's Santana and Ortiz, formerly known as LAX. They were not referred to as LAX on um, on All Out, so I assume there is some sort of licensing issue with the name. Um, what are they? Some, they were referred to as a couple different things, but they called them Los Bariquas, which I think would be absolutely hilarious to call them. <laughs> um, but Santana and Ortiz come out to a huge pop. Again, another huge tag team get. So now you have the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks and Santana Ortiz kind of at the top of your tag team division. And the big thing I really like about Santana and Ortiz getting introduced here is it gives you that third option now. You don't have to just go back to the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks again, which I think at this point... It has run its course. I think at this point, you need to go away from the Young Bucks, Lucha Bros for a while. Uh, they have amazing chemistry together. They could do amazing things in the ring together. But I think at this point, that feud is over for now. And then, you know, you can revisit it later on. After you crown somebody the tag team champions, you can have Santana and Ortiz in there. Maybe run rough shot over the tag team division. Something something happens later on. Maybe you could do like a three-way, you know, uh, Santana Ortiz versus Lucha Bros versus Young Bucks sort of thing. Where, you know, you, you need to reinvent the feud at this point. People are, even though every time they, they wrestle the match gets better and better, people are over Lucha Bros Young Bucks at this point. 
Um, that feud needs some time off. It needs to simmer a little bit. Uh, and then we can wait and see what happens with it in the future. Finally, we get to the main event. Uh, the AEW World Championship match uh, for who's going to become the first ever AEW World Champion. Chris Jericho, Hangman Page. Um, some boos for Hangman Page early in the match. Um, huge pop for Chris Jericho, even though Jericho is supposed to be the heel in this match. Um, uh, yeah. Bit of a mixed reaction for Hangman early in the match. Not going to lie. Um, you could hear it on pay-per-view um, that the reaction for Paige was a little bit mixed. Um, a slow, methodical match. Um, definitely not the best match on the card, um, but a really, really great story being told. Jericho gets busted open from a discus forearm. Um, which, again, plays into the story where Jericho had busted open Paige a few months ago. Um, definitely a... a, a here, I have to admit, I'm getting a little concerned as I take a swill of coffee before it gets too cold. I'm getting a little concerned with the amount of blood um, AEW is comfortable with. Now, again... I'm okay that there was blood in this match, but Jericho was but like he he bladed himself wide open. Uh, like he was like again, you know the, the the chair shot, which I know I think the the Cody chair shot was accidental, but the the Dustin Rhodes blade job at Double or Nothing. Now another you know just it, it's too much. It was too it was too much blood. So, I'm getting a little worried about their level of comfort with these large-scale cuts. Um, Paige tries multiple times to put Jericho away. Uh, Jericho kicks out of a discus forearm. He kicks out of a couple of buckshot lariats. And then he kicks out of the dead eye. Um, Paige hit him with another dead eye. Another buckshot lariat. Didn't make a cover. Jericho gets up, boom, lands the Judas effect um, when Paige is going for another dead eye, leads to the three count. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Chris Jericho is your first AEW world champion. And I, I have said it before and I will say it again, it was the only choice for AEW. Um, it was the right choice. You bring in a guy like Chris Jericho, um, knowing that you're going to weekly TV, knowing that you know you need to make a dent in the casual wrestling fan market. Um, Chris Jericho is the most viable world champion you have on the roster. You put the belt on the most viable world champion. It's not a hard decision. Um, I think anybody who understands uh, any modicum of pro wrestling knew that Chris Jericho was going to leave um, Chicago with the world championship. Um, it, it, again, it just makes the most sense. Um, you know, because now, it, it, you know, again, you have this guy who, 
nine-time Intercontinental Champion, three-time or four-time World Champion in WWE, the first ever undisputed uh, WWE Champion, uh, you know, former IWGP Intercontinental Champion, now the first ever AEW uh, World Champion. He has a massive following all around the world on social media. Uh, with the ca the casual wrestling fan knows who Chris Jericho is. Um, again, he's the most viable champion you have on the roster going into weekly TV. And that's the thing. I think Hangman Page has all the potential in the world. But you cannot build a world champion through a YouTube show and through three, uh, four pay-per-views, two of which were minor pay-per-views throughout the summer. You can't build a legitimate world champion that way. Chris Jericho is a legitimate world champion has been a legitimate world champion for 20 years. Um, you know, Hangman Page will be one of those guys. He will absolutely benefit from weekly TV. You'll be able to build Hangman Page into a legitimate world champion with weekly television and quarterly pay-per-views. When more people, the more casual wrestling fan, can have access to what he's doing. So, it made the most sense to have Jericho go over here. because, And the other thing is, Hangman looked really good in the match. It, it leaves him with a story going forward. And that's the other thing. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, the goal of All Out was to set up TV. So now, think of all the different outcomes that you have from this match. You have Jericho going into your TV as your world champion. Okay? Very well known. No real immediate feud. Perfect. That gives you a chance to build somebody up as you move towards full gear in November. That gives you a chance. They could go a lot of different directions. They could go to Kenny. They could go to Pac. They could go back to Hangman. It'll, it, it gives you options. You have, you have options around your world title. What do you do with Hangman? Hangman gave Jericho everything he had. He gave him multiple, multiple, multiple finishers. Couldn't put him away. Does this lead to a to a confidence thing with, with Hangman? Does this lead to a heel turn where he realizes that, you know, maybe he needs to be a little more dastardly? Gives you options with Hangman. You know, Cody and Spears, I think that feud probably continues. Um, what happens with Pac? What happens with Omega? When is Moxley going to be able to come back? He has said he'll be back in time for TV. You know, does he go right back to Kenny Omega, or does now that Kenny Omega hand take that second loss, does Moxley turn his attention to Jericho? In what would be a fucking amazing feud with Moxley and Jericho? Your women's division has some intrigue, a little bit. I think they could have done a better job. I think it's pretty obvious Nyla Rose is going to be the first uh, Women's World Champion. I think that B Priestley and Britt Baker is going to be a hell of a feud, as I've said a few times in this show. Tag team division at this point is wide open um, with the Bucks and with the Lucha Bros and now with LAX. I'm going to call them LAX until they have a new name. Uh, plus, you have all those mid-card um, tag teams that are around, you know, like the Best Friends, like Private Party, The Dark Order, um, you know, how's that all going to shake out? Who's going to rise to the top? Who's going to fall off? It's going to be very interesting. They've done a very, very good job of setting things up going into TV. Where, because again, 
the big the, the biggest advantage they're going to have with weekly television is they're going to be able to tell more stories where you, you can't tell stories through the pay-per-views. And again, I'll use Hangman Page as an example again. You're not going to build a 27, 28-year-old world champion through pay-per-views. You're just not going to. And through being the elite, where he's been almost invisible. Weekly TV will benefit Hangman a lot. It will benefit a lot of guys on this roster. Guys like Orange Cassidy, for example, who is still a bit of a cult-following kind of guy. So... The mission of setting up live TV was absolutely accomplished. It wasn't their best pay-per-view effort. Um, it certainly was good. It was it was fun to watch. They made some really good choices creatively. Uh, again, I still think, as I said with Double or Nothing, I think the production really needs to get better. I think it's going to be interesting to see how live TV works. Um, you know, if JR is going to have a place on weekly TV, JR has got to get better. Um, and, and again, I, I, you know, I, I know they're committed to him at this point, but they have to realize that their commentary and, and their production is not working. So we'll see live TV kicks off Wednesday, October 2nd, 8 PM Eastern time on TNT drama. If you're in the United States, Canada to be determined. Um, what did you guys think of all out? Uh, let me know. Hit me up on the Twitter machine at SnaggleJ uh, or jump in the Discord, uh, discord.snaggle.club. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts, what you guys thought of All Out, where were the hits, what were the misses. Um, I thank you guys so much, as always, for listening to The Snaggle Show. I appreciate uh, any time you dedicate um, in your little ear space to the sound of my beautiful, beautiful voice, especially early on a Sunday morning. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening, whether it's on anchor.fm slash the snangle show or in your podcast app of choice on iOS or Android. I thank you guys so much. Uh, and until next time, peace.